I think you can almost say the suffering is evil, right? The suffering of Good Friday that was inflicted upon Jesus was evil. It was, mm-hmm. it was, um, and when when man suffers, it's it's not of God. It was not part of his original plan. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a result of uh, evil in this world. Yeah. And um, but the the beauty of redemptive suffering is it gives the opportunity for sacrifice. So mm-hmm. perhaps what is redeeming about suffering isn't there's nothing. Suffering itself continues to be evil, but it's redeemed through the gift of it's self, which is sacrifice. It's the yes, that's right. So, so to to say that suffering is somehow good is not is not true. It's redeemed. Well, that's it, what it means we go too it, far. It's transformed exactly. Yes. So, yes. suffering will always be evil, and and when God sees suffering, He sees evil. He sees that which is not good. But when when it when it gets redeemed through mm-hmm. the gift of self, the offering of self, it becomes mm-hmm. sacrifice, well, and sacrifice. Yes. Is That's the language it. of God for That's God it. so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Mm-hmm. It was this, and so redemptive suffering is the gift of self, the gift of sacrifice. Hey, friends, and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Brad Pierron. I'll be the host for today's show, and I'm joined in the illustrious. Damascus Media Studios, but my good friends and brothers in Christ, Mr. Dan Dimite and Mr. Aaron Richards. And we are pumped to be with you because it's the holiest week of the year. We're yeah. here celebrating the Triduum, which is exciting. And um, today, because this episode's releasing on Good Friday, we'll be talking about Good Friday, which is Whoa. awesome. And we're going to try to do that every year because of the Good Friday is something. Yeah. Is, there, is there a gradation of holiness of the days. If I'm being really <laughs> honest, I've only heard priests ever say that, and I'm taking what they say and saying it is the, I guess the holiest Trito, week. Trito is one day. According, yeah. I think it, Easter Sunday would be the holiest no, day because think, it is eight days long. I think the Triduum, mm, but is Easter Sunday holier than Easter Saturday? <laughs> but a thousand days are but one day in his course, you know? So it's the I, same it's day. Like, uh, I don't even know how to do math anymore. But no, we're going to talk a little bit about Good <laughs> sorry, Friday. Right, sorry, um, sorry. And we're going to start with just uh, the Triduum. So I think um, th- this time every year, it, it brings me to the recognition that these are like the, the stories of Jesus that I want to focus on more throughout the year, right? Because they're like, they're so powerful, like Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. Um, going into the Triduum this year, what are um, convictions on on your guys' hearts before we jump uh, into Good Friday? Beautiful. Well, as you know, uh, we were in the Holy Land just a couple of weeks ago, I guess mm-hmm. a couple, more than a month ago at this point. And uh, the experience of the Triduum, I guess the experience mm-hmm. of, the, of walking through the Triduum mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the Holy Land was, uh, was really profound to see the, the connection so I have been excited as we've been leading up to this point to relive that again in that new context and frame of mind. Is there something there that stood out to you the most, do you think? I think, yeah. It's hard to there ask because I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, all of it. Uh, I, I actually, I jokingly ask people whenever they do something ridiculous, like in like an eight-day silent retreat, I was like, okay, so tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell me something that was revealed. Uh, th- yeah, there were, there were a number of, of beautiful highlights. I'd say, uh, as it pertains to the Triduum, the, the final days of, uh, of Jesus life, um, what strikes me is the, is the close proximity truly of, of everything. Mm. I mean, we, we walked effectively from, uh, 
from the upper room mm -hmm. to, I guess we walked from the Mount of Olives to the upper room. Uh, but it would have been possible to walk from the upper room to the Mount of Olives and back up to Calvary in the course of like an hour, right? That these, these, the proximity of these spaces was such that like everything took place in one, Here, yeah. in one experience, yeah. right? And uh, I, I've made this comment a couple of times over the last few weeks as people have asked me about the Holy Land in general, that as Catholics, and the Tudor is a little different, but as Catholics, typically, when we are invited into a reflection on the scriptures, mm -hmm. that usually happens through the lectionary and mm -hmm. praise mm -hmm. the Lord. And it usually happens kind of in the context of a series of somewhat disconnected, powerful moments mm -hmm. in the life of this Jesus guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? And living as a citizen in the United States of America in 2023, like you could be forgiven to believe that like, hey, these are the stories of, these are the stories of a random series of events that happens in the, in the church, like in, sure. in various, you know, hey, one day there was this healing that happened in mm -hmm. uh, Kansas. And the next day there was this prophetic conference that happened in California. Mm -hmm. And then there was this worship event that happened in Damascus. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that was not the reality of the gospel. Like, the the years that Jesus spent in ministry and the days that Jesus spent in his passion, these took place in in such a way that you couldn't have missed what was happening. Yep. Yeah. Because it happened like right in the middle of everything. Mm -hmm. And there weren't even enough people in the place to be able to reasonably ignore what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, jumping away from the Trudum a little bit, like you you see the example of of Jesus's miraculous healings. Um, in and around Capernaum. There's a, there's a litany of healings that happened in Capernaum. And to visit Capernaum and to realize that, okay, this place had maybe like 500 people max who lived here at any point in history. Like uh, imagine a little city, a third of the size of Centerburg, yeah. right? Where uh, all of a sudden for, for a good chunk of 33 years, this mm -hmm. guy has lived and, and exercised a, a, a ministry of, somewhat prolific influence. And now right. all of a sudden he's healing the sick and raising the dead. <laughs> People are going to talk about it. Well, yeah, they're going to write about it, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. that's, the, that's the cool thing about the gospels generally is yeah. it has that, like um, Bishop Barron says that grab you by the shoulders, like personality yeah. to it. It's like, no, this thing happened. We have yeah. to tell you about it. it it's unbelievable. Oh, 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 and that one day that like, in our little town of 500, there mm -hmm. were 5,000 people here <laughs> yeah, and they forgot to bring food. Yeah, Like that wouldn't have just, you know. Do they yeah. bring palm branches? 5,000 <laughs> people go gather at the expo center, like no big deal. Sure. They forgot lunch. Like, great, we're going to go over to the South Market. Yeah. But, uh, North Market. But the, uh, you know, in Capernaum, like that. Yeah. There would have been no forgetting that. Like, hey, you remember the day? Do you remember that day? When that giant crowd, the only day that that giant crowd ever came to this place. Uh, yeah. Like those, those were the moments that, yeah. that would have really stood in uh, That's forever. Really powerful. Yeah. I'm just glad that happened like leading up to the Triduum too. Yeah. I have that lens going in. Triduum for you, Dan? Um, I've always been so in love with uh, the after Holy Thursday um, mm -hmm. where there's just that profound night of silence yeah. and adoration. And it's, um, and I, I think there's, um, I mean, echoing Aaron, just, it was so profound experiencing the Mount of Olives, the garden of Gethsemane and the, 
uh, the prison where Jesus was was kept. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Caiaphas's basement. Uh, that, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. So like to to know that this is this is where Jesus was kept. This mm-hmm. is, and then to see the the way and to learn the way that the prisoners were tortured. It's that there's a silence that happens between mm-hmm. Thursday night with the Last Supper, which is so like this massive dramatic critical moment in the church's life and in Jesus's mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. where he gives us the, his own body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And then this insane silence that takes place until we get back into this 3 PM hour. And to, to be able to journey in that silence with, with Jesus, um, mm-hmm. and, and almost like not just for, okay, I'm going to go for an hour, but to, to spend the night with him, um, and to experience his hours, uh, is is something that's really mm-hmm. I don't know I just love that and I, I love it even more now. I've always loved that about Holy Thursday and Holy Saturday that they they both have that descriptor of holy and like meaning set apart and both of them are these days of profound silence. Yeah. This profound waiting. Like and not a passive waiting, but this active anticipatory waiting like what's going to happen next. And we're able to partake in that almost to ask that of our own lives. Like after this triduum, what's going to happen in my life? Lord, you know, like, what are you going to do in yeah. me? And there is something about that. I, I always think about Caiaphas's basement, actually. It's funny that you bring that up. It's like one of the most, um, I think like under um, presented parts of the, the triduum that's so powerful mm. that like Jesus, when he's drug off from the garden of Gethsemane, it, his first trial is with all of his friends. It's with all these people in the temple, all of these, like, it's all these people that knew him and he goes in and that's when he's questioned and where he says, I am right. And you've heard it here, the blasphemy, right? They, they rip their garments and send him to Caiaphas's basement. And I I've always just related to Jesus. You were willing to be abandoned by all to have me again, right? Like you were, you were willing to to let go of all that. There's something powerful. Um, Brad, someday you'll get out to to see it, but mm-hmm. the the church that's built over Caiaphas's palace yeah. mm-hmm. uh, is is very profound. It's built in multiple layers, mm. so you have the the church at the at the top that that um, commemorates with beautiful uh, mosaic the uh, the accusation of yeah. Jesus, mm-hmm. um, or what do you call it? Uh, the the his condemnation, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Uh, before Pilate um, or before Caiaphas, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the second layer of the church is uh, commemorates Peter's denial of, of Jesus. So it's, it's, you walk down the steps and there's mm-hmm. a stark contrast and there's a second chapel down there. Mm-hmm. And then you continue to walk down and it actually leads you into the, into the, the first century prison. Torture. Torture chamber. Yeah. It's first century wild? torture chamber. Yeah. And, yeah. and you see the torture. I mean, you see, like, you see what they did. And it, it, I mean, it is the most dramatic. Like, yeah. there's something about watching um, Mel Gibson's passion, right? Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful to to let us enter into the passion of Christ. It, it It's another thing to feel the passion of Christ, like, in, yeah. in, it, in its yeah. presence. And it's, it's hard to do that in... Uh, on the stations of the cross mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. at the, even at the, um, uh, uh, on Calvary because it's so busy, mm-hmm, but in this prison mm-hmm. cell there, it, it wasn't busy. It, it's, it's just, yeah. uh, it, it is what it is. Well, yeah, it says, um, 
in in tradition, right? That when Jesus was in Caiaphas's basement, he he prays um, from memory Psalm eighty eight, which is the yeah. only psalm that ends in lament. It's the only psalm that doesn't end with "But you, O Lord, are my strength and the goodness yeah. and all of this." It, it ends with this, and it's always just because of you, friend and neighbor, shun me. My only friend is darkness. Yeah, like just this recognition of what Jesus was willing to do. Like, and just his humanity, like pleading with the father in Psalm 88, that like, again, it's the only Psalm that ends with no, with no rejoicing coming out. It's, it's a recognition of just the humble state that Jesus took. So uh, we'll, we'll go back to the Holy land at some point with more pilgrimages. And, uh, Mm -hmm. but we prayed that in the prison cell, which was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just nuts to be able to. Like the first time I put those things together when I was like early in my conversion and just excited about everything. Yeah. I read and just cried every line. Yeah. Because when you read the Psalm, like again, not to read the whole thing, but like, Lord, the God of my salvation, I call out by day at night. I cry aloud in your presence. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry for my soul is filled with troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am reckoned with those who go down to the pit. I am like a warrior without strength. Like when you just think about, that's Jesus going into this Friday that we call good, (laughs) you know? And there is like, he clearly sees the world differently than we do. Like good Friday, this is his proclamation into the goodness of that Friday. Yeah. And we, when we look at goodness, it's, it's usually surrounded by, um, perfect health and, and perfect, um, I don't know, uh, recognition and good looks. strength and yeah, all the things. And, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it's, it's fun to, to do this episode this year because as I've been praying into the Triduum, it's just been sticking out to me that Holy Thursday and Holy Saturday set apart that set apartness, that, that silence, that waiting, that anticipation that comes with that is awesome. Right. And then we have Easter Sunday and the octave that comes after that. And then we have in the midst of all that, this Friday that we call good that our savior prayed that prayer into. And it's like, okay, why good? <laughs> you know, why, why would we remember it in that way? And again, not, not even with knowing the end of the story, which is salvation. I mean, like the day it's like the remembrance of that as good is, is challenging. So I wonder like just um, what you guys think of that, just that reflection on, I think we see goodness differently than our, our Lord does. And he welcomes us in every Good Friday to see goodness differently. Well, it wasn't like Jesus made up the the marketing uh, plan for the Triduum, like, yeah, right? Yeah, so he point. didn't call it Good Friday. Yeah, it was right, right, right. the church announcing it as Good Friday. And I think it's that hmm. the church has um, adopted the Savior's heart, yeah, <laughs> right? That, uh, mm-hmm. that the, the church... Uh, the whole world, but specifically the church in or, to teach the world was redefined on Good Friday, that mm-hmm. suffering took on a new dimension, a new reality, a new yeah. purpose, so that mm-hmm. the suffering was looked at as, um, you know, like yeah. e- even those who suffered in their life, were uh, it was assumed that they suffered because they were sinful mm-hmm. or their generation was sinful, that, mm-hmm. oh, well, you're ill, well, that must be because you are a sinner or your family was a sinner, right? Yeah. That, that the suffering took was was associated with evil and mm-hmm. and and uncleanness, you know. Yeah. And yet here, suffering has been redefined, redeemed, restructured, and the church pronounces that it has mm-hmm. been by saying, "No, no, this is this is good." Yes. Yeah, it's good. I think about, uh, and I think we've mentioned it on the show before, like what it must have been like for 
Mary and the apostles as they began to see the cross be used as a mm-hmm. as a an icon to right. signify the salvific work of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. because you you can't like you can't separate the the human response to suffering mm-hmm. while at the same point acknowledging the the, the beauty and the mystery mm-hmm. of of God's God's plan. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh I mean those those two things walk side by side. I, I I was reflecting as well about it's it's during this season when we speak of the even the fall, right? Oh mm-hmm. how how hap, oh happy fault that merited for us so great a redeemer. Yep. Right? That that we can actually look it's it's only through the lens of God that we can look mm-hmm. like Joseph did in the Old Testament in Genesis mm-hmm. at the the willful disobedience of man and and thank God. Yeah. Because he has used this for good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's not it's not just because, you know, thank goodness that I didn't see the whole picture. Yeah. It's actually no, this this was actually terrible. Yeah. And and God, you alone, mm-hmm. you alone can change this. Yeah. His and, ability to transcend that. Well, I think part of that proclamation that the church calls this Good Friday, it's our responsibility to, yeah. through our own lives as Christians, testify to that goodness. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's um, the, when you're in the midst of sorrow or suffering or darkness, that you would rejoice, you yeah. know, that you would, you would proc- proclaim the goodness of, mm-hmm. of what God is doing no matter what. And um, the Good Friday has to become our uh, message to the world mm-hmm. to continue to catechize, to teach, to enlighten the world of the the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and how outrageous to your point, Aaron, it was to take the cross, like the, yeah. the single most embarrassing thing that you could have imagined at that time, and to proclaim that as the icon through which salvation would happen. It's as outrageous as him using me now, right? <laughs> like, like he just says, like, "Hey, Brad, all that brokenness and everything, we're I'm going to use you to be me for the world." How about oh. that? Like it's, it's yeah. when we can get the goodness of the cross and how outrageous that was, even in the outrageousness of him using someone like me, I can find it in myself to be like, whoa. Can I make a necklace and, and have you hang from no, the necklace? No, you can't. That's a idolatry. Little, a little, so, little, no, little picture no, of Brad. It would be him in me. But no, it, it, I think it that is. That would be embarrassing. Um, it, <laughs> it would be embarrassing. But I do think there's a... um. There's a recognition that what um, man can consider outrageous, God actually uses specifically for that reason yeah. because of how powerful that becomes. And um, I love that you were mentioning suffering, Dan. I think that's been a, a beauty of the Catholic Church where we've we've never gone too far into heavy atonement because the Old Testament, you have the wrath of God experienced, like even so much that they thought that those who were born blind, it was through sin, right? Like they were seeing everything through this lens. But when the begotten son of God, who was eternally loved from the father and loved all the way through the passion, obviously by the father, when we see that and say, actually, wait, love can be there too. It doesn't have, it's not, it's not like absolute wrath. I'm going to destroy you because I have to destroy something because I'm, that, that's like, that's theological schizophrenia. It's like, no, the father loves the son. The father loves the son. And, it, and if the father in his love for the son saw a better purpose through that, what purposes is he seeing through whatever I go through? And he's always working me back to the resurrection, of course, right? So 
it's, it's in knowing that, that we can see it good in, in a different way. But I wonder like, um, when you think about just like the sacrifice, right. Uh, that good Friday represents and the church has proclaimed that as good. I think that we can forget sometimes that in our call to be Jesus, like we're called to bring that same type of um, revival, renewal, and all those things. But we're also called to sacrifice like that, to give of our lives, you know? And um, I wonder, like in being in the Holy Land, maybe you have a different reflection on it too, but the first people to take that call from Jesus, right, that knew that that Friday was good are the ones that then sacrificed their lives for him, right? Like all the apostles are killed. Like, well, 11 of the 12 are martyred, and then John... I mean, there's mystery to his death, but like, there's something, I wonder what you guys think about this statement. There's something about when we recognize the goodness of the sacrifice of Jesus, where our only response can be to do the same, you know? And we see that through the apostles. I wonder like, what's your, um, what's your reflection on that? It's a funny one, actually. I, uh, I was really moved last week at our, uh, Damascus missionary staff, MSR training. That so missionary support raising is is something that we engage in wholeheartedly as a culture where every one of our missionaries, just for those who are tuning in, maybe who aren't familiar with the term, um, we uh, we engage in partnership relationships with with individuals within our community and within our our sphere of influence, right? Friends, family, uh, individuals who may desire to join us on mission. And every one of our staff is, is charged with going out and developing those relationships and inviting people through their financial contribution and their support and prayer to actually engage in making our work possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at face value, incredibly humbling, right? Uh, I, I like to say even here as I, as I tour Damascus with, with visitors that I'm not ashamed to beg anymore because <laughs> there's nothing here that came apart from begging. begging yeah, right, right. <laughs> Uh, sometimes a lot of, (laughs) so multiple instances of begging, but it's, uh, it's so profound to see, um, I can tell that story and I can be convicted by that message. And then an hour later, forget and begin to believe that, that this is here or that I am here or that my mission is possible on some, uh, good behavior you know, on, on some degree of, of achievement that I've accomplished through my own excellence. And, uh, I was, I was moved again to, to see in, in context as, as we were, as we were teaching our missionaries, how to engage in, um, in honoring and supporting and stewarding those relationships to continue to bear fruit for years and years and years. And, uh, I was suddenly, I was suddenly, uh, convicted of the fact that each one of our missionaries, like they are giving a sacrificial gift. Like they're mm-hmm. the, they're the first ones. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and how often I forget mm-hmm. even in myself, right. That, yeah, this, yes, it hurts mm-hmm. and it's significant. And the fact that we have 130 young disciples here at Damascus who are saying like, truthfully, I'm going to, I'm going to give a sacrificial gift of my life as a, as a result and as a fruit of having come into relationship with him and realizing that nothing short of that mm-hmm. will suffice. Yeah, right. The response uh, has to be sacrificed. It's it's just, it's incredibly convicting. Mm-hmm. It is. I agree. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that too um, in, in the context of just reaping what you sow. Yeah. So like what, what, what we're talking about in the mission support raising context is you're sowing 
financial seed, right? And you're reaping the benefit that the missionary is carrying out because you're going on mission with them, right? And we're talking about that in that context. But in the reap what you sow, like sow your life and reap his. Like when I actually like, I'm going to sow, my life will be the seed, right? And we see this image in scripture all the time. Like I'm going to pour myself out. And from that comes resurrection, right? Like it's only, it's only in laying down that new life comes. If, if a, if a grain of wheat just remains a grain of wheat, it remains a grain of wheat. But if it falls to the ground and dies. Well, let me, let me I guess, let me, I, 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 I think I set it up and I failed to conclude the thought there. So, so those who have given their lives so, so beautifully, right? Um, the difference between, and we, we see this oftentimes in the church, right? The difference between being a victim and being, and being one whose life is poured out is, mm. is the orientation of relationship, Right. That I need to realize that uh, that yeah, I I willingly choose this life, I willingly choose discomfort, mm-hmm. I willingly choose not knowing where I will lay my head, right, because of the fact that I'm motivated by love for him, mm-hmm. and anything short of that just becomes uh, it becomes ridiculous. Yeah, that's right. When it's a continual yes every day that yeah. I, I want to give my life to him, I think the mm. so one of the first things I share this in my testimony, but one of the first things that I heard the Lord speak to me when he planted a missionary call in my life was Dan, my love for you cost me my life. What does your love for me ever cost you? And that question arose in my soul that the only logical answer was to say, Lord, I want my love for you to cost me my life. And Mm -hmm. really that exchange, I remember, I mean, I was a senior in high school and I was, I was asking myself, what direction do I want my life to go? You know, Mm -hmm. was it, um, I was excited about law school someday. I was excited yeah. about Annapolis and going to the military academy. I was excited about a lot of different things. And just that, no, Lord, I, I actually want to just, I want to give you my life. Not, not, and, um, and then, you know, doing missionary work after that and, and beyond that. And, but even, you know, that was over 20 years ago and just a couple of weeks ago as, um, uh, in this insane office in Orange County, meeting with someone who had who had made quite a life for themselves and was yeah. an amazing guy. I really liked him, and and I remember like thinking like, man, I could like I I could have done this. Like I could have built a company like this guy built this company. Like you like this is and and, and those feelings. I took them to prayer because what what's the you know what's the content of prayer? Your thoughts, feelings. And desires. And so mm. you don't hide your, your, your thoughts, even if they're bad thoughts, like there was yeah. almost jealousy that was rising up in me. And I didn't want to hide that from God. So I go to God, I'm like, God, why, why was I feeling that way? Mm-hmm. Like why, like this guy was awesome. Why was I feeling envious of what he's done in his life mm-hmm. as if everything you've done in my life isn't enough. And, yeah. um, and, and the Lord just, you know, I was like exposing that, those, that thought, that feeling to him. And he just said, Dan, like, don't you remember that you gave me your life? Like it was like mm-hmm. Luke nine, like he who throws his life away will discover it. And, yeah. but it, it's that <laughs> it, I made that concrete decision to throw my life away. And that meant that the, the other things in the world were not, they were no longer an option, if mm-hmm. you will. And there's something unique about this, uh, proposition, right. That the Lord gives us to give, give our life away mm-hmm. generously. And then you see that in the early apostles that they, they give their life away. And, and not that I actually think this guy gave his life away as well. No, right. Sure. So I, I think those in the world who have mm-hmm. secular calls as the lay faithful, mostly have secular calls. They, they can give their life away generously mm-hmm. as well. 
But whenever you give your life away, I mean, Jim Caviezel, famous actor who played Jesus, right? He gives testimony of his choice to give his life away to the Lord, even in a successful career, threw him, it meant throwing all of his friendships in Hollywood away. It meant throwing away so many opportunities, mm-hmm. right? That if you're going to give your life to him, it means throwing other things away. Yeah, it does. Well, I, I think there's something as well about sacrifice being the antidote to suffering. That like, we're all going to experience sufferings in our life. And the way by which we most effectively get through those, in my opinion, is by having chosen sacrifice forever, right? Like, like the, the sufferings of, um, of this life, um, they, they don't hold as much weight when I am routinely sacrificing in a way that sees the Lord as the fulfillment of all. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think that there's something in that where Jesus made the decision to sacrifice yep. earlier than Good yep. Friday. Like he, he knew that his life was not his own, right? I do nothing on my own apart from what I see the Father doing. We talk about this stuff all the time. Like um, it, Jesus, like he had, he had known for a while that sacrifice was the way to the fullness of life. And that, that means on Good Friday, when the sufferings came, yeah. they were transcended by the good of sacrifice that, mm-hmm. he had, that he had known through his life. And then I think the apostles, right, they're seeing that same thing. Once they got past that fear of death, right, they were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. What were they afraid of the Jews for? That the Jews might kill them. What were they actually mm-hmm. afraid of? Death. When the one who conquered death comes in, right, and breathes upon them and they go out. They live that same way, that every single suffering that was going to come in their life, they already had chosen to sacrifice their life anyway. So it just didn't phase them the way that it can when we don't live a life that way. And and I I suppose this may be half-baked, but the the idea that building a a life of sacrifice and building Mm -hmm. habits of sacrifice Mm -hmm. can actually keep us oriented toward that life of Jesus, yeah. even during the times when, um, my heart, my heart is, is clouded, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That there's something, there's something about our humanity. Uh, St. John Paul II says that man can only, uh, find himself through a sincere mm-hmm. gift of himself, right? Mm-hmm. There's something about our humanity built in the image and likeness of God mm-hmm. that yes, sacrificial love, uh, actually, um, orients us to the image of Christ in us. Mm-hmm. So, so whether I, whether I see Christ in the moment or not, and it's always better when I do, but, but even if I'm merely sacrificially loving my family or I'm merely sacrificially loving the poor, Mm -hmm. or I'm merely sacrificially loving society, right? That those things actually lead me into a place of, of becoming the image of Christ. Yeah. And, and and predispose me to finding him. Mm-hmm. That's right. When it makes you unstoppable in a way, like then the things that come, like you can, because you can see, oh man, you just see differently. Isn't that true? Your lens just is changed. When you live a life of sacrifice, your life's changed. I wonder, um, you guys want to speak to that in your lives? Like what are ways that you've seen sacrifices you've made? I think one, one of the things that comes to my mind immediately is in the mission support raising realm. It, it's changed my life. There's a reason that I have such a passion for it informing our content around it now is because there was a deep humility and meekness that was instilled in me through that process. Like, and I don't mean that just in like a, yeah. I don't know, a mere virtue type way, but a real embodiment. Like I remember like in the years, um, like after I first did MSR continually growing in this, Lord, you're asking me to give you my life 
and you're asking me to give this person an opportunity to give theirs in this way. If they say yes or no, is actually not mine. I'm inviting them into a sacrifice like the one you've invited me into. And over time, yeah. that just got so ingrained in me that I'm like, man, it just taught me that sacrifice really is something that's rewarded with resurrection, that the Lord is just really faithful and he, he does something new when we sacrifice. I guess in your guys' lives, like sacrifices that you can think of that the Lord's come through in. Um, I'll tell, I'll tell a story, but before that, I want to give kind of a foundation because yeah, I'm listening to your guys' wordplay and it's, it's so interesting that naturally we're talking about suffering and sacrifice and that the, I, I think you can almost say that suffering is evil, right? The suffering of Good Friday that was inflicted upon Jesus was evil. It was, mm -hmm. it was, um, and when, when man suffers, it's, it's not of God. It was not part of his original plan. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. a result of, uh, evil in this world. Yeah. And um, but the, the beauty of redemptive suffering is it gives the opportunity for sacrifice. So mm -hmm. perhaps what is redeeming about suffering isn't, there's nothing, suffering itself continues to be evil, but it's redeemed through the gift of it's self, which is sacrifice. Yes, that's right. So, so to, to say that suffering is somehow good is not, is not true. It's redeemed. Well, that's it means we go too it, it's far. transformed. Exactly. Yes. So yes. suffering will always be evil. And, and when God sees suffering, he sees evil. He sees that which is not good. But when, when, it, when it gets redeemed through mm -hmm. the gift of self, the offering of self, it becomes mm -hmm. sacrifice. Well, and sacrifice yes. is That's the it. language of God. For That's God it. so loved the world that he gave his only son. Mm -hmm. It was this. And so redemptive suffering is the gift of self, the gift of sacrifice. Well, anything offered that's evil to God becomes different. It's mm -hmm. confession. Yeah. Right. So when I'm offering suffering, even though it's evil and holding me back from what the original intention of my body, mind, and soul was, yep. death's the same way. But I offer you this passage, yes. Lord. I offer you this. Right. It doesn't make death good. De like Jesus would still weep outside of the tomb of Lazarus today. Yeah. <laughs> like no immortal soul was supposed to pass through death. But when I offer that death yep. to the glory of God, it's it's shifted. Just like when I offer him my sins, my defensiveness. Right. Yep. And, he, and this is where, when we say God doesn't want us to suffer, sometimes people question that. Well, no, God doesn't desire suffering, but he will will redemptive suffering. He'll allow the Christian to redeem suffering just like he redeemed suffering, right? It was, mm -hmm. And so there's something so beautiful about the gift of sacrifice. So the testimony that I think I'll share is there's, mm -hmm. when Amber and I got married, it was like we got pregnant right away. And mm -hmm. within the first month of marriage, um, Amber was just destroyed by pregnancy first mm -hmm. trimester just destroyed dehydrated throwing everything up on bed mm -hmm. rest attached to an iv it wasn't it wasn't fun and so there was very very small honeymoon period pyramid right uh, period period yeah. uh, and a <laughs> couple days the, and it was beautiful <laughs> because this first trimester was also like a, as the trimester was going on we enter into the season of lent and it was mm. neat to walk through lent watching just the suffering of someone in like going through and, um, and then the, all, a lot of the suffering actually was lifted on Easter Sunday. So she, she journeyed through Lent on an IV, unable to keep anything down. Finally on Easter Sunday, she was still on the IV, but she was able to start keeping things down and she started to build up and, hmm. um, but it became, uh, the the process a woman goes through and the suffering a woman goes through to give life mm -hmm. was it was such it was elevated and then when you think through this idea of the insane sacrificial gift of self your body's mm -hmm. transformed and then you yep. go into labor 
and, and the pain, the suffering, the hardship associated with labor and out of mm-hmm. it comes new life. It's just such like God actually designed femininity to testify to the Paschal mystery mm-hmm. that we would see the suffering, the death and the resurrection, the new life that comes out of the gift of self. And there's, there's nothing, there's nothing more beautiful. And mm-hmm. even our world tends to, to run away from that. Like, how do we take away the pain of childbirth? How do we take away the, sure, the, sure. that gift of self? But there's something about a natural childbirth that says, no, I'm going to enter into this experience, this gift of self in order to give new life in the world. Well, and even think about that through the lens of what I was saying earlier with the Catholic church, the way that we've always taught the father's disposition. The, the, the pains of child rearing come from the fall, right? Like yeah. the, the Lord gives men the obligation to earn their wage by the sweat of their brow and women to have pain in child rearing. And, and when we look at that through a wrath, vengeful lens, it looks like you were wrong. I'm going to give you something miserable. Yeah. It looks like an imposed suffering. Or it's that God always knew love and sacrifice couldn't be divorced. Yeah. And when we ate of the tree, we divorced sacrifice from love. And he goes, you know what, that family that you're going to love more than anything, I'm going to make you toil in a way that has you wrestle with it and then give it to me in sacrifice. Yep. Cause then love and sacrifice are back together, which is his goal the whole time. So yep. exactly that's, that's a hundred percent. It is that in offering the hardest things in my life that I don't understand. And, and, and we're all in that boat, right? But in that offering, it starts, it starts shifting. One of the things before I toss it to you, Aaron, to hear about just any ways that you've seen sacrifice come is, um, I was thinking it through um, the context of growing up. I had a natural tendency to be defensive. Like there was just something in me for whatever reason that was like, I am just, um, I need to defend my thoughts because I'm not sure that others will defend them like I will. And so I built up this um, just kind of like ability to negotiate and ask questions and things like that, that came from a heart that wasn't pure. Long story short, after conversion, I started seeing the Lord using that in in ministry and things like that, speaking from stage, speaking in small groups, speaking to people who were refuting the faith. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, Lord, you can take away the bad heart and leave me the gift. Yeah, Like you can actually, you, you don't have to proclaim that what I'm doing here is bad. You're just like, Hey, that heart that kind of developed this, let's shift that. Yep. And then those, those, those skills, like, again, like he, he can, in the offering, he redeems things, right? Yep. He speaks them differently. Maybe you, Aaron, like an area where you've seen sacrifice yeah, uh, I think still living in the midst of it. So uh, I, I know I've shared on the show before, but Monica and I have have really discerned that one of the ways that that we feel particularly called to love and invest in this community has been in in living in proximity and really uh, serving in a role of of close stewardship, and uh, that has has led over the last couple of years to many temptations of seeing a lack of uh, conclusion in our own search for a, for a home here to, uh, to be seen like just to be senseless suffering. And, Mm. um, I know I've, I've been really, uh, really brought to a place of, of, um, beautiful freedom in process Mm -hmm. in being able to like really struggle with the Lord in seeing those moments not as a place of, um, of defeat, but as a place of like, I have a, I have a choice right now mm-hmm. to take this difficult scenario and be a victim of it yeah, or to allow it to be redeemed. And, um, 
and it's been particularly challenging because this is this is the, I think the one lived testimony in my life where I haven't seen like I don't know what this I don't know what the conclusion is yet. Yeah, but it's it's been a it's been a beautiful invitation to be able to say okay you know today will I choose mm-hmm. sacrifice or will I choose suffering? Yeah, that's good, and that's that's the choice, right? That it uh-huh. is. It's yeah. either <clears throat> the 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 different because either way you're. In 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 the situation, either way, you're still going to suffer, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. difference is sacrifice with the offering. Is it extended to you? Yeah. Well, you even look at um. Well, we're talking about the transit. We're talking about Good Friday, and we were talking about the transition into Good Friday from the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, Jesus, even in the Garden, like if, if this cup can pass, there is something about like our ability to still ask the Lord for what we want, even if we're not getting it right away. Mm-hmm. Because here, it, there's something in the relationship with a father that's good where he wants to hear what I want mm-hmm. and he's simply required to get me what I need. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there is this, there's this balance where we see Jesus in a very clear way, tell the father what he wants. Not once. Yeah, but right, multiple right, right, times. Right, right, right. Exactly, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't hear you right at first, but no, exactly. Yeah. That he's telling him very clearly what he wants. Yeah. And, and, and the father is letting Jesus l- like live out something yeah. that wasn't immediately what he wanted, yeah. but the end result was what he wanted. He knew what he needed and he stayed with him in that. He allowed it to be a sacrifice, right? Which makes that Friday good, which then the apostles take on, we are called to take on. And I think- um, Well, I think yeah. that's really important for us when we think about even the, the sufferings in our own life. Um, you, you are- you are called to ask the Father to take those away from you, right? Even Jesus gives yes. us an example of, of, of asking for the Father to take the suffering away, and then he surrenders to the Father's will. And so mm-hmm. if I have a, an injury upon my my body or whatever it is, if I'm suffering, mm-hmm. it, it is not that I should assume that the Lord wants me to offer that. First, I should ask him for healing. Mm-hmm. I should ask him for freedom. I should ask him for delivery, uh, deliverance. And then I accept whatever comes, right? But the, the and, and I love that Jesus, he doesn't ask just one time and then give up, that mm-hmm. there is a persistence in his prayer in the mm-hmm. garden and that mm-hmm. we can have persistence with the Lord. I think sometimes we feel like I'm not a good Catholic if I don't just receive all the suffering in my life without asking for that suffering to be taken. And no, the Lord desires to healing and wholeness. That's his, his heart for us. So we can yeah. pray for healing. We can pray for wholeness, understanding that while we wait for that healing and wholeness to come, mm-hmm. um, then I offer that up. I yeah. offer up the waiting. I offer up the suffering and that, so it's not taking away anything of holiness to ask the Lord to heal us. That's his hunger. No, for no, us. It, we don't need to, because again, and we talked about this, um, actually last episode and a couple episodes ago as well, but there are just times where we draw dichotomies. We don't have to. Exactly. Like, like yeah. It really, it really is the, the, the will of God of, of the both, the both and like he wants both faith and hope. And I've said that on this podcast before, and I've really been in a season of that though. Like I don't have to sacrifice. Well, I won't use a word that we're using in a lot of other contexts here, but I don't have to get rid of one for the other. That like, I can have faith every day that God's bringing, there's a, there's a, a health issue that I have in my life, right? With some of this digestive stuff where every day, every mm-hmm. single day, I tell the Lord what I want, right? I, every day. And I have faith every day that he'll do it. And I, I still believe that he's going to do it mm-hmm. today, you know? And at the end of the day though, I can also have hope that in the case he doesn't, it's only going to be better later. Like we can do that at the same time. We can make that move at the same time and stay in perfect love to the best degree that we can of him. 
where I don't have to sacrifice his goodness, but I don't have to create a theology around mystery, which is fine. Like I can actually live in that. I can Can do both. I I want us to push in there because I think this is a, this is a tendency that, that so many people have. Yes. I was, uh, I was actually just sharing, I, I was hearing the testimony last night of a good friend of mine who's, uh, uh, cousin uh, died, unfortunately, from cancer. And as she struggled through the last days of her life, uh, she was she was a um, someone who was very uh, practiced in the gifts. She mm-hmm. loved to pray for God's transforming power. She'd seen people healed. And as she was dealing with this, she was she was questioning, like, I'm not afraid of death. I want my death to be an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord. Like I want, I want the Lord through my suffering and through my sacrifice to be able to redeem this. And at the same point, like I also want for him to be a witness through my healing. Yes. And up until the, up until the day she died, she kept, she kept wrestling with like with this. And, uh, she, she, he was sharing how she called him in, um, in, in one of their conversations, she asked like, uh, I'm just having such a hard time reconciling whether, whether God wants to glorify his name through my, through my death or whether he wants to glorify his name through my healing. It's a mystery. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, what a, what a beautiful witness to someone who's, who's just in love with him. And because of that is, is wrapped up in, in, in mystery from a place of, of not understanding, which is the definition of mystery. Yeah. Right. Our, our tendency our tendency as as Catholics, as humans, probably is is to is to always try to encapsulate and explain, right? So when when I'm dealing with something like, okay, I have a hard time reconciling the fact that I I prayed for someone and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Therefore, nothing happening is the rule now that I need to build my foundation on. Because, or I no longer pray for someone because I'm building a rule off of when I pray for people, it, it might not happen. So I'll just intercede. Precisely. Private. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it's, it's, it has uh, deeply influenced our, our Catholic spiritual life um, in a, in a very negative way where like we forget that we are a faith that's founded on miracles. Definitely. Like, do we forget? Namely that, the Triduum. Or that, or, that, or that every time we get together for mass, like yeah. we walk in with the hopeful expectation that today we're going to pray for a miracle and it's going to happen on the altar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you realize that's not guaranteed apart from the promise of Christ? Yeah. It's the center of our faith. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% in on that because I think that it, it, does, it does a disservice to the goodness of God for us to try to explain that mystery. Yeah. Because we have to fall on one of two ends, which is he's always willing temporal healing or he's always willing temporal suffering. And that's just ignorant because he doesn't work. He doesn't work like we do with past, future, and present. He's, <laughs> he's omnipresent. He's yeah. always, pre- like he just doesn't work in that way. So we, we just see wrongly if we divorce faith from hope, if we divorce the offering in whatever context from the hope that he could bring that. It's like the, uh, um, I want to throw it over to you, Dan, but the, the, um, uh, the chosen series, I was just at a men's conference where Jonathan Rumi was being interviewed. Hmm. And one of the, one of the, one of the episodes, um, that they were showing that they were highlighting was an episode where a little James who walks in the show with a limp, he's actually a real man who has cerebral palsy, Hmm. um, or cerebral palsy, however you pronounce that. Um, and he had been denied a lot of uh, acting jobs and he would actually hide it when he was 
trying to get a job. And then by the time he'd get the job, because he's a really talented actor, he, they would ask him to do something that the limp would come out and the person would be like, oh, there's a limp. We can't, I don't think we can do that. But, but Dallas, the man who is the producer of The Chosen, he didn't know the man had a limp because in his trial, you couldn't pick up on it. And then he asked him to do something where he did have a limp. And he, he said, do you have a limp? And the man who plays little James was like, yeah. And he was in his mind just thinking like, it's going to go like everything else. Like this won't be a, a job I can keep. And he goes, let's work that into little James story. Mm-hmm. And so they work it into little James. He walks with this limp in, in the, in the show. I think it's like Clubfoot or something like that. But anyway, Jesus has just commissioned the 72 to go heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. Um, like just like all, all the things. And when he sends them out, little James comes behind him and says, master, do you see how I struggle with the fact that you're asking someone like me, who you have not healed to go out and to pray for others to be healed. And, and in the show, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, the monologue is the most Catholic theology I have ever heard. And it's right. It doesn't divorce the fact that God works amazing healing and how that's a great story. And it's under the glory of God Mm -hmm. and how sometimes in the way someone carries it out and offers it to the Lord, it's, it's, he, he still will leap like a deer in heaven. Like it is going to be better later. He says it in this like amazing way that mm-hmm. does not sacrifice any of the mm-hmm. rich theology we have. And I'm like, yes, please yeah. like more of that. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was a really powerful reflection of what you're talking about. There's mystery there. Yeah. Of course there is. Mm-hmm. And let's not try to oversimplify mystery by trying to put it in my, I don't know. Yeah, we, I one. just, <laughs> Yeah, we just repent anytime we try to do that, right? Like it just Good. it's it's painful that that we would we would try to explain away God's will or God's desires. And hmm. we know one thing that God is good. That is like That's we, right. we know yeah. God's goodness. That is that is what we know. And so let's like in the mystery rest in his goodness. And um I, I I'm struck by you hmm. you you connected sacrifice with the love earlier, Brad, and um, mm-hmm. how the Lord always desires to bring that about. And I I wonder the danger of um, comfort is that love sometimes grows apart. I, I I'm hmm. I'm thinking of like a a a country in crisis is a country that's bonded by love, right? That after nine eleven, our country was bonded by love, mm-hmm. and we were united. Now we we're not in uh, as big of a crisis right now, and we we're fighting over the most trivialized things, right? Mm-hmm. And and what bonded us together, that suffering that bonded us together as a country in love, comfort has created division and even animosity. And I think about even marriages, right? Mm-hmm. Marriages that have suffering in it are often bonded by that suffering and and, and experience agape love, real deep intimacy. But when marriage, they offer it to the Lord. When they offer it to the Lord. But a lot of times those marriages that are are, are guided by comfort, right? Then trivial things start bringing division. Mm-hmm. And so then I start noticing my spouse's nuances that are frustrating to me, or I start becoming mm-hmm. selfish and looking inward of like, well, why am I not getting what I want out of this? That comfort actually develops a division. And mm-hmm. that when when there's el- when there's times in our life where we're living Easter Sunday because God's mm-hmm. favor and his goodness is yeah. so apparent, mm-hmm. we have to choose elements of Good Friday in order to connect us to sacrifice and love, right? Lest we become complacent, which will cause division. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where... On those Easter Sunday moments of our spiritual life, I I willfully choose the sacrifice of fasting 
to to cre- create a suffering that keeps me sensitive mm-hmm. to sacrifice and allows me to grow in love. And mm-hmm. I think that's an element of like, we shouldn't run from Good Friday ever, right? Mm-hmm. We should yearn for and live on Easter Sunday, but we have to see Good Friday is good. And the reason it's good is because it allows the offering of, mm-hmm. of sacrifice, which is the recipe of love. And mm-hmm. so how do that's I, good. whether I'm in, uh, you know, consolation or desolation, mm-hmm. how do I allow this recipe of sacrifice to lead to love and, and, and weaving that into my spiritual life, no matter where I am. And also just mm-hmm. leave weaving it into our relationships, our human relationships mm-hmm. that I'm going to, even in those moments where everything's going great and I'm going to choose a sacrificial gift of love yeah. towards my, my, my mm-hmm. friend or towards my spouse, towards my children to continue that growth. And people that hold me accountable to that like having people in my life. Cause sometimes comfort can't see comfort. Yeah. Right. So sometimes when I'm comfortable, I can't see it. And someone like you, Dan, or you, Aaron, will just share a question with me or something. That's like, Oh man, I'm grateful that that was revealed to me. Cause now I can choose it on the other side of the ledger too, though. I want to speak to anyone listening that might find themselves in the other place. If you find yourself in a season of good Friday, you should rejoice knowing that Easter Sunday is coming. Yeah. You absolutely should do both. If you're in a season of Easter, remember that it came through the cross. If you're if you're carrying the cross, remember that resurrection always comes. Good. It's not in our timing, but it always comes. And if it doesn't come now, it's only going to be better later because again, that's the definition of hope. And so I do I think that that's really good though. Is is like maybe getting a little practical for anyone listening. Um, and then let, let's see if there's anything else that we see there, but definitely if there's, if there's comforts in our life, let's be particular about finding ourselves transcending that mm-hmm. and do that by implementing, um, sacrifice in your life. Maybe that's through fasting. Maybe that's through offering some of it to someone who needs it uh, and, and have someone in your life that holds you accountable to that. So let's rid ourselves of comfort. Anything else that you guys think of that might be a offering as we get close to closing? I love it. I think it's been a very fruitful conversation. I mean, uh, where I, where I go back is, yeah. In order to build a lifestyle, you have to build habit. And um, building habit always hurts, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's never going to be fun. Uh, but as, as we can uh, unite that to Christ, like mm-hmm. that, that, that actually building habits, you know, of, of discipline, of fasting, like these things, these things can actually reveal to us a depth of our, mm-hmm. of our Christian life that we if you don't do it, 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 it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it, it feels yeah, impossible yeah. because it is impossible. Uh, but, but there's so much richness and depth there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think again, we, we tend to, we tend to divorce the two Yeah, that many people, when they see Catholicism, they see uh, a, a ritualistic or a rule-based or a discipline-based or, you know, whatever. And, and divorced of, of, relationship with him, mm-hmm. right? Then yeah, that's worthless. Yep. But without that, uh, the relationship doesn't have a chance to blossom into something really, really beautiful. I like that. Yeah. I want to conceptualize that in one way and then have us pray for those listening. But um, I, I was reflecting on this to your point, Aaron, of like, you need both, like, yeah. because you can't take the form of religion, but deny its power. But you also can't take power and not put form to it because God himself put form to Mm. all of that he created. And it's really cool if you think about a river, right? Like if a river doesn't have banks, it's a flood, right? (laughs) But if it doesn't have water, it's a ditch. And so both are bad, but because you need the form 
and, and the, the power, power and they work actually in tandem. But let's pray um, for those listening. I think um, just anything on your heart uh, and I'll, I'll start us off and then we'll yeah. work around and pray for those listening. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, um, on this Good Friday, help us remember that you are good, that you're always good, that no matter what we're going through, God, we can cling to your goodness, that we can proclaim your goodness, we can trust in your goodness. Help us realize, Lord, that, um, that in the same way that you offered yourself for us, we're called to offer ourselves for you. Come Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot today about uh, not you know, not missing the boat, not wasting an opportunity to, to allow uh, suffering to be sacrificial. And um, I'm, I'm moved to pray for anyone who feels like you have missed the boat today uh, and to let you know, hey, today's, it's not too late. Um, it's not too late to allow the Lord to come in to redeem those parts of you. So if there's any sense of shame or having missed out on opportunity or a, a conviction, to orient your life toward allowing the Lord to use that, uh, I would proclaim the, the truth over you that today can be a day of, of incredible conversion. And my prayer is that, Jesus, you would meet those individuals and that you'd lead them to a place of, of uniting their hearts to your own. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the goodness on Easter Sunday and the goodness on Good Friday. We thank you for your goodness in the um, storm for your goodness in the sun. Lord, mm-hmm. we just pray that mm-hmm. your goodness would follow us all the days of our life. I so I guess since the Lord just wants to give us his heart today, that our hearts would become more like his, that uh, his goodness would be planted in us, that we would love like he loves, that we would speak like he speaks, that we would speak good goodness. Mm-hmm. We would speak and live goodness, that we would bless others. And so, Lord, I just pray for your heart to be imparted on us, that we would experience a deeper love for your people, a deeper love for the salvation of souls, and a deeper love for the goodness of God to fall on man. And Lord, let all the words spoken during this podcast today land with all those who are listening and uh, allow your word to be the one that we cling to in amidst any Good Friday that we have and also in any Easter Sunday that we get to enjoy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Triduum, friends. Um, we pray that this is just a really holy time for you and that the Lord continues to draw you to himself. If you um, if you were edified uh, by the podcast today, we're just going to invite you to take the opportunity to share this with someone that you know, maybe someone in your life that's looking for more in their faith life. Uh, also, if you've been listening to this more than once, or if this is your first time, go listen to it more than once. And we'd invite you to like, subscribe, and share all the things we're doing here. Because again, this is the show where encounter meets mission. And we want every encounter we have with the Lord to lead us to bring others into that same encounter. So if you encounter him today on this Good Friday, share that with others. And if you encountered him through this podcast, share that with others, like, subscribe. And again, we'll see you next time here on Beyond.